Well, again, good morning, New Breed, on this Resurrection Sunday. I'm excited to to open the Word of God with you. And I want to go back to a text we read uh, a little earlier in the service of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to be looking at verses 50 through 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. So hear, hear the Word of the Lord. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can incorruption or nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing That in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. Heavenly Father, as we consider this idea of the glorious resurrection, I pray, I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we would just be in awe of what you did 2000 years ago. God, we praise you for the glorious resurrection. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Well, church, as we've already said this morning, we are privileged to reflect on the majestic news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know that this isn't probably the way we would want to celebrate it or how we would want to reflect on it. But whether you're sitting on your couch or in your bed or, or whether you're sitting here in front of me, we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and we should celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every moment of every day. We celebrate this news that Jesus Christ. Christ, who was delivered up for our sins, did not stay dead, but in fact, he was raised. And in that resurrection, we have peace that surpasses understanding. In that resurrection, we have purpose that extends into eternity. And in that resurrection, we find hope in life. In that resurrection, we find freedom from sin. And in that resurrection, we have victory over death. And oh, church, what good news that is. Because I don't know if you're aware of this, but in our world, the stench of death is all around us. In this world, people feel the pain of its sting. And in this world, there is a darkness that just seems to hover. And this is especially true even now in the season that we are in. You cannot turn on your TV without hearing about the latest death toll. You have people who have never once considered their own mortality wrestling with what would happen if they died. You have people who are in crisis and they are scared of losing their life. And yet, in light of the reality of the resurrection, 
There is life in the midst of death. There is freedom from its sting. And there is light in the midst of darkness. All because of the fact that on Sunday morning, nearly 2,000 years ago, the Son of God walked out of the grave. And church, we have reason to celebrate. And hear me, church, the world needs to hear our celebration. Because as we celebrate the death, burial, and specifically the resurrection that followed, we are declaring the most significant truth in all of eternity. You know, Paul picks up on this at the beginning of chapter 15 when he says in verses 3 and 4, For I passed on to you, listen to this, as most important, as most important what I received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Again, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we are celebrating the most significant truth in all of eternity. And people's eternal destinies depend on what they do with that truth. Church, you can get every other doctrine of the faith theoretically right. And miss this, and you have nothing. And as we celebrate the single greatest truth, we are not only declaring that we believe it, but we are declaring that we believe that the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection still changes everything. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is central to everything we believe. It is central to our hope, and it is central to who we are. And church, I would contend this morning that this truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it stands and no part of it can be taken away without the whole thing crumbling. If Jesus did not live, he did not fulfill the law for you. And if Jesus did not die, there was no payment for your sins. And if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then death has won. And church, we know that in our day, there is an ever-present response and belief that we have, to, we have to somewhat abandon the supernatural aspects of our faith for what is rational, they would claim. The argument goes that the only way you can reach people is by removing the parts of your faith that are hard to comprehend. I've heard theology and belief described once as a brick wall. That our theology, our doctrine, what we believe, I've heard it described as a brick wall. And, and some would argue that there are some bricks that you can remove and change and the wall will still stand. But there are some bricks that if you remove them, the whole thing comes tumbling down. And my problem, church, is not with that picture. I think that is a completely faithful depiction of our faith. I think there are doctrines that we believe that it is okay if there are differences on, that if you change this brick and replace it with this brick, I think that that is completely okay and the wall will stand. I, I have no problem with that understanding. I believe that there are bricks that are central to the wall, and if you remove them, if you remove those pieces, the whole wall comes tumbling down. Again, my problem is not with the picture. My problem is with the bricks that people think they can remove and have the wall keep standing. And in our day and age, it is more common than some of you may suspect for self-proclaiming Christians to deny the reality of the resurrection because they think it's not rational. And what I want to contend is that if there is no resurrection, then our faith is pointless. 
And you don't have to take my word for it. Because you see this, this problem, this denial of the resurrection, it's not new to us. It's not a modern way of thinking that, that came about in our day and age. Paul was dealing with the same thing in his time and in his age. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through Paul, God speaks to us on this issue. And look at what Paul says there in chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, listen to this. Your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So what Paul is doing is he's he's actually making two arguments here. And so so follow his argument. So Paul first makes the argument that if there is no such thing as a resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our declaration of the gospel is in vain because we are liars. We are declaring something that has not really happened because the gospel demands that we testify that Jesus lived, he died, and he was resurrected from the dead. But if the dead are not raised and Christ has not been raised, then we are preaching a false gospel. We are liars. But then he starts a second line of argumentation there. And, 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 and he says this, that, that if there is no such thing as a resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sin. So it's, it's not just that we are found to be liars. It is that the faith that we have is worthless if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And then he goes on and he says, and if this is all the case, then we should be pitied more than anyone else because we have shown ourselves to be complete and utter fools, basing our hope on a lie. And so what Paul is arguing here is that if you take away the, the resurrection, if you remove that brick from the wall, you take away the brick that holds the whole thing together. If we don't have the resurrection, then nothing else in our faith matters. This is why Paul says in verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And he is arguing here that if Christ has not been raised, you better hope for your best life now. If Christ has not been raised, you better hope for your best life now because there ain't nothing after this. And if Christ has not been raised, then you go ahead and you live it up. You go up, you go out and you smoke and you drink and you fornicate and you pursue every pleasure that this world has to offer because it's all you have. But you see, the point of his argument is not for you to go out and do all those things. The point of his argument is to say that the resurrection is central to everything we are. And then after he makes this argument, Paul makes no time, wastes no time in making the definitive statement there in verse 20 to remove any doubt. And he says, but as it is. 
But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, Paul makes this declarative statement that Jesus Christ is alive. See, all this speculation of what it would mean if the resurrection wasn't true is unnecessary because Paul declares, as it is, our king is alive. But, but I, want you to, I want you to hear this. I want you to see this. You know, Paul is not making this statement based off of hopes and wishes. He makes this statement because he understands that God has been weaving this story of resurrection since the very beginning. You see, church, and I, I love this part, all throughout Scripture, we hear whispers of resurrection. Though, though they're not always fully understood, though they're not loud declaration all throughout Scripture, there are whispers of this resurrection day. It was whispered in the garden when God told Satan, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Resurrection. It was whispered in Genesis 22 when God took the child of promise, laid on an altar and raised him up. Resurrection. It was whispered in Job 19, 25, and 26 when Job cries, but I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the dust, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh resurrection. It was whispered in Psalm 1610 as the psalmist writes, for you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay, resurrection. The whispers got louder in Ezekiel 37, 12 through 14, as God speaks to his prophets. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Resurrection. It was whispered in Hosea 6, 1 and 2 when Hosea declares, Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. Listen, he will revive us after two days and on the third day he will raise us up so that we will live in his presence. Resurrection. It was whispered in Jonah 2 when he cries out from the belly of the fish what Jonah calls death and after three days he is saved. Resurrection. It was whispered in Jonah John 2, 19, when Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Church, there have been whispers of the resurrection since the beginning. But church, I came here this morning, I put on this suit and I'm standing in front of this camera to tell you that there came a time when the whispers ceased. When what was once a whisper turned into a shout of triumph because you see, 2,000 years ago in a tomb borrowed from another, there was a declaration of resurrection. It ceased to be a whisper in Matthew 28. And Matthew tells us that after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and he was sitting on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. And the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And here it is, church. He is not here. For he has risen, just as he said. This declaration rang forth, declaring that every whisper from God, every promise he gave to bring life where there was death, every promise he made to bring light where there was darkness, every promise he made to redeem a people unto himself is fulfilled in that declaration that he is not here. For he has risen. Our God is faithful. And even when we missed his whispers, it did not change his plan. God knew what he was doing. The cross did not confuse him. The cross did not shake him. The death of his son did not leave him undone. God knew that resurrection was coming. And so Paul can write with utter confidence, but as it is. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Church, what a glorious resurrection. But you see, what makes this resurrection even more glorious is that it produces something in the lives of those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to spend the remainder of our time this morning talking about what the resurrection produces for those who are in Christ and Jesus. And here's the first thing that the resurrection produces. You see, the resurrection gives freedom from sin. The resurrection gives freedom from sin. I want to draw your attention specifically to verse 53, but I know I've said a lot. So let me start reading again in verse 50. So we remember where we are in the text. Paul writes, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. Now, here it is. Verse 53 for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. You see, the resurrection gives freedom from sin because what what Paul is reminding us of here, beginning in verse 50, is that we as human beings cannot inherit the kingdom. We cannot dwell with God in our sinful state. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. And he is reminding us of the fact that our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 2 declares to us, but your iniquities are separating you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Our sin separates us from God. And I, and I want to remind you that we are all born into this world sinners. We are born corrupted because our first Adam, or our first father, Adam, sinned. We're born into sin. No, nobody had to teach us how to do that. 
It, it naturally flowed out of us because of what we inherited from our first father, Adam. But the hope comes in the fact that Jesus came, bore our sins on the cross as he was crucified and died. And then he was raised to life. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we no longer have to be dead in our sins, but we can live in relationship with God. Paul says this back in verse 21 and 22. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And, and church, this is the message of the gospel. This is what we believe, that, that every one of us has sinned. We are born that way. We inherited a sin nature. David says in Psalm 51, in, in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born, we come out of the womb with a propensity to sin, not a propensity to love God. And then we grow in our ability to sin. And church, you know it as well as I do. We get really good at sinning. But that sin separates us from God. Our holy and perfect God cannot be in the presence of corrupted, broken, sinful people. But yet, because of his great love and mercy for us, he sent Jesus into this world. And Jesus lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law. He never sinned, not once. And he deserved no punishment and no separation. He deserved no death. And yet he willingly died on the cross in our place, taking the full weight of God's wrath and anger upon himself. And he paid as a sacrifice for us the penalty for our sins. And, and Jesus died and he was buried and he was put in a tomb. But what we are celebrating and what we declare is that three days later, God raised him from the dead. And as the scripture says, he was crucified for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification. And we believe that because of Christ's finished work on the cross by coming to him in faith and repentance we can shed these robes of death and be clothed in robes of righteousness we can wear Christ's righteousness and what Paul wants us to understand specifically in verse 53 is that we can be united to Christ through his death and resurrection in this life and in this life we can have freedom from sin and he says in verse 53 for this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed in immortality and in that truth there is a declaration that we can be freed from the burden of sin and we do that as corruptible bodies by putting on incorruptibility. And we do that as mortal bodies by putting on immortality. And so then the question becomes, well, what is it? What is it that we're putting on? We are putting on the one who is incorruptible and the one who is immortal. You see, if Jesus stays in the tomb, he is not incorruptible and he is not immortal. But praise God, he's not in the tomb. Therefore, we can put on Christ. We can exchange our filthy rags for Christ's robes of righteousness. We can exchange our dead hearts for hearts made new by the power of the Spirit. We can exchange these dry bones for bodies that are living and breathing. And we can exchange corruptibility for incorruptibility. And we can exchange mortality for immortality. Our hope 
is in the fact that we can live in this world united to Christ. That we can, by the grace of God, take off our sin nature inherited from Adam and put on Christ. We can die to self and live united with Jesus. And if we are united with Christ in life, we know that we will be united with him in resurrection. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So when we die to self, we know that we are raised new, and there is coming a day when our bodies will be raised immortal for those of us in Christ to dwell with God for all of eternity. But I want to also make, make sure you're aware of the fact that There's also a practical application to this freedom from sin that the resurrection gives. See, it's not just that we are freed from the punishment of sin when we die. That is true, but it's more than that. We are also freed from the chains of our sin in this life. You see, a few verses later in Romans 6, if you keep reading after verse 5, Paul writes this in In Romans 6, 8 through 11, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Praise God. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So we also, or so you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus not only delivers you from the punishment of sin. Again, he frees you from the chains of sin. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. By being united with Jesus through the Spirit, we have now for the, the, for the first time the ability to fight sin. And we are no longer condemned by it. That's what Romans 8.1 tells us, that, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. What Christ did on the cross was set you free from the chains of sin that bound you here in this world. And so now by the power of the spirit, you can fight for holiness and righteousness in this life by the, spout, by the power of the spirit working through you. We have freedom from the chains of sin. And I don't know about you, but I often don't think about the resurrection when I think of my fight against sin. But maybe I should think about it a little bit more because the resurrection is the declaration to us that Jesus has conquered sin. He has conquered death. We can be clothed in his righteousness. And if we are in him and he is in us, then the chains of sin are broken and we can fight sin daily. There is therefore now no condemnation. And this is all because of the fact that Christ died and was raised from the dead. The resurrection gives us freedom from sin. But there's something else the resurrection gives us. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. The resurrection not only gives freedom from sin, but the resurrection gives victory over death. The resurrection gives victory over death. Look at what he says, beginning there in verse 54. He says, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. And here it is, church. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of, of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, the beauty of the resurrection is that Jesus has conquered the grave. We need no longer fear the end of, the, of this life because death is not the end for us. You know, when the, when the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was sitting in Tagal prison for defying Hitler towards the end of his life, he wrote a work called Stations on the Road to Freedom. And in this, he listed different stations in life on the road to freedom. But what was so interesting is the last station that he spoke of was death. And I love that understanding from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that death is the last station on our road to freedom. It's the last stop of the train before paradise. It's the last stop before eternity. And this is such a beautiful understanding because as believers, we know, we know that death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus conquered sin and he conquered the grave. And, and this doesn't mean that, that we won't face death. That's not what it's saying, because unless Jesus returns, that is one thing we can be assured of. But what it does mean is that we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because death is our last stop on the road to eternal freedom. Again, because Jesus walked out of the tomb conquering death. Now, now I want to be clear. This doesn't mean we necessarily celebrate death. This doesn't necessarily mean we look forward to death itself because death is still unnatural. I hate when people say that, that death is a natural part of life. No, death is still unnatural. Death is not the way that God intended it to be. And we don't want to minimize the weight of death by just saying it's just natural. It's the way the world's supposed to work. Death is a result of the fall. It is still unnatural. And death stings because of sin. But we know that Jesus conquered sin. Therefore, we face death knowing we will not know the sting of it because we have hope in what lies beyond the grave because the resurrection testifies to us that for those in Christ, there is life on the other side of death. Jesus is the living, breathing testimony of that. There is life on the other side of death. And then incredible thing about this life is that it is perfect life. It is a life dwelling in the presence of God where there is no more sin, there is no more death, there is no more pain, there is no more loss. It is life perfected for all of eternity. So we long for our resurrection after death. We long for the life that is to come. At least we should. And because of that church, that longing to be with Jesus for all of eternity, that longing for our resurrected bodies, we don't put our hope in this life. We as believers don't fear the grave because we know that what we gain in the life to come is superior to anything we could gain in this life. And church, what a what an incredible truth it is that the worst weapon that Satan has is death and Jesus overcame it. The worst weapon that Satan has is death, and Jesus overcame it. You know, I often try to think, 
I think partially because of a righteous indignation I have towards Satan. I hate Satan and I love to see him fail and I love to see him fall. And, and I oftentimes think of what it must have been like for Satan when Jesus breathed his last breath. I know that one author once wrote that hell must have been in the midst of three-day carnival. Smiling and laughing, thinking that they had conquered God. Satan genuinely believing that his plan had worked. In church on Sunday morning, in the midst of their celebration, I would have loved to see the look on Satan's face when Jesus walked out of that grave. Because it was a declaration that the worst you've got, Satan, is still nothing. Yeah. It's still nothing. For the Christian, you need not fear death. For death has been swallowed up in victory. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, there is, there is an essential difference between the decease of the godly and the death of the ungodly. Death comes to the ungodly man as a penal infliction, but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace. To the sinner, it is an execution. To the saint, it is an undressing from his sins and infirmities. Death to the wicked is the king of terrors, but death to the saint is the end of terror. The commencement of glory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Here's the final point that I want to mention about the resurrection. And there's more that could be said. But not only does the resurrection give freedom from sin. Not only does the resurrection give victory in death. But the resurrection gives hope in life. It gives hope in life. Because, you know, while we look to what is to come and we look to our resurrection and we look to life eternal, we are still here now living in this world. And the resurrection has something to say about here and now. It gives hope in life. Look at verse 58. He says, therefore, in light of everything that he has just said in, in 1 Corinthians 15, in light of everything he's talked about, about the resurrection. And, and but as it is, Christ has been raised and, and the fact that death is swallowed up in victory. And, and after this beautiful description of the hope we have because Jesus is alive he says therefore my dear brothers and sisters be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain you see the resurrection is not just about what we get in the life to come it also speaks to how we live in this world the resurrection gives us hope in life and we are to live as people who have hope here and now, believing that as we fight to make much of Jesus, as we battle to daily kill sin and put on righteousness, as we seek to love God and love people, it is never in vain. The resurrection does not guarantee that this life will be free of struggle and pain and hardship. The resurrection does not guarantee that your life in this world will get any easier. But the resurrection does declare to you that it is never meaningless. 
That God is building within you an eternal weight of glory. In fact, church, in all honesty, often the pain we feel and the trials we endure are struggles that should make us long all the more for the resurrection. Should make us long for the day when we will be raised to newness of life. And as we endure struggle and pain and hardship, we have to keep our eyes fixed on the resurrection, believing that that is our hope. And church, this truth stands for the young child who places their faith in Jesus and feels the sting of being ostracized by their peers for the first time. And, for, and this truth also stands for the saints who are coming to the end of their journey and are feeling the pain that is in their mortal bodies wearing out nothing that you go through. No, no being ostracized from your friends. No, no pain of old age. No loss of, of life. No struggle. No hurt. None of it is ever meaningful. In light of the resurrection, it is never in vain. And as we labor for the Lord in this world, it is never in vain. We might not see the conversions we want. We might not see the church growth we want. We might not see that family member come to know Christ. We might struggle and toil. Some of us might be faithful to proclaim the gospel every day of our lives and never see in our day one convert made. And this verse in light of the resurrection reminds us that it is never in vain. It's never in vain. In light of the resurrection, we are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, believing and trusting that it is never in vain. And church, the reason it is never in vain is because Jesus has already overcome. He has already conquered sin. He has already conquered death. He has fulfilled the promises of God and he is the guarantee of our hope in glory. Therefore, we press on. Remembering, church, and hear me, remembering that we are not laboring to win God's approval. We are laboring because in Christ we already have it. Therefore, nothing we do is in vain. The resurrection gives hope in life. But as I draw this to a close this morning, I want, I want you to hear me clearly to all of you who, who are listening. The resurrection only gives freedom from sin. And it only gives victory in death. And it only gives hope in life to those who have trusted and believed in Christ's finished work on the cross and the empty tomb. It goes back to what Paul said at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection only imparts these things to those who have placed their faith in that message. And I want to tell you that if you have not trusted in him this morning, that you can today. The Jesus we believe in is not a fairy tale story. He's not a legend of old. He is the son of God who walked this earth, who died in the place of sinners and was raised to life again. And in this Jesus, we find hope and freedom and victory. So church, today and every day, 
we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and it is a glorious resurrection.